Hola mi gente. The moment you've been waiting for is finally here. My brand new book, Financially Lit, is officially out. And I can't wait for you to get your copy. Inside this book, I'm bringing you culturally relevant and relatable personal finance advice that will allow you to finally feel seen, heard, and understood. Whether it's the guilt you feel from being the first person to make it while members of your family are still struggling, or the way that financial trauma manifests itself in negative and limiting beliefs around money, Financially Lit is here to guide you through it all. Just a few years ago, it was almost impossible to find personal finance books written for first-generation wealth-building Latinas. We have been forced to navigate the complicated world of money with a bunch of money books written by old white dudes who don't understand what it's like for us first-gen kids. But that stops right here, right now. Inside Financially Lit, you will learn how to set boundaries with your familia, with your dinero, create and pass on generational wealth, diversify and increase your income, protect yourself from financial abuse, navigate the complicated relationship between amor and dinero, invest like a white dude or better, and so much more. You can get your hard copy and audiobook version of Financially Lit at financiallylitbook.com and make sure to join our email list so you can find out when I'm stopping in a city near you for the Financially Lit book tour. See you soon. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. You're listening to Yo Quiero Dinero, a personal finance podcast for the modern Latina. I'm your host, Janice Torres-Rodriguez, and I'm here to help you be poderosa with your dinero. I'm an engineer, a blogger, and an entrepreneur that built a $50,000 side hustle, and I'm obsessed with all things personal finance. On this show, we're going to talk about how to make dinero, how to keep your dinero, and how to make it grow. Are you ready? Vámonos. Hola, mi gente. Welcome back to another episode of Yo Quiero Dinero, the podcast. This is your host, Janice. And today's episode is going to be centering around mental health. Now, if you don't already know, July is Minority Mental Health Awareness Month. And so we are talking to someone who knows very well the struggles that first gen can deal with when it comes to mental health. We face a lot of pressure as first gen. We have this expectation to really you know, take our parents' sacrifice seriously. And a lot of that manifests itself in perfectionism, overachievement, imposter syndrome, and that can have a really, really negative impact on your mental health. So I'm really excited to talk today to Natalie Torres Haddad. She is a two-time TEDx speaker known for her talks, The Foreign Language of Financial Literacy and The Confidence Gap. She's an international award-winning author, a bilingual podcast host of Financially Savvy Latina in 20 Minutes, international keynote speaker, and educator. Her activities have been featured in Forbes, The Huffington Post, and The LA Times, just to name a few. And she's a first-gen college graduate from CSULB in finance and international business with a master's in public administration from CSUN. 
Natalie focuses on helping those in debt to keep working towards their financial independence. She was born in El Salvador and raised in Englewood, California during the LA riots. And she quickly began to understand the lack of higher education and financial illiteracy that limits her community and prevents them from accessing basic human rights and equality in resources. She started investing in real estate at age 24 and began her career advocating for financial and women's empowerment for equal pay. Her challenges dealing with student debt led her to dealing with depression, and that has influenced her to advocate for mental and financial health to be taught in all schools and work environments. You can follow Natalie on Instagram at Financially Savvy Latina. Let's get into today's conversation with Natalie. All right, Natalie, thank you so, so much for being here. I'm so excited to talk to you. I'm excited too. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So you are a fellow Latina podcaster who's talking about money. So you're a girl after my own heart, but you are so much more than that. So why don't you go ahead and start off with an introduction about who you are and your background? Yeah. So um, first off, I'm, I love seeing that there's more and more representation, especially in the podcasting world. Um, so my podcast yes. is a bilingual podcast. It's called Financially Savvy in 20 Minutes. And it started off just basically because I wanted to provide that information that many people don't get a chance to listen to or hear, or they just say they don't have enough time. And I say, well, all my content is under 20 minutes. <laughs> it actually came about from my first book that was published in 2012, and it's Financially Savvy in mm -hmm. 20 Minutes. And um, ever since then, it was just something that I always try to do my best is making sure I create content that's under 20 minutes. And then about three years ago, it evolved to... Uh, bilingual, all Spanish content. Since I'm from El Salvador originally, I was born there, but I was raised in Los Angeles. I was like a year old when most of my family fled here during a civil war. And since then, um, it's been, I feel like it's been my purpose, but it's really been a, a, a lifeline journey. I studied, well, both my undergraduate degrees are in finance and international business. And then my master's mm -hmm. in public administration with emphasis in fundraising. And I started investing in real estate at age 24 and bought and sold several after. And my biggest thing was um, financial literacy is such an important aspect that we're not taught in college, which I learned the hard way. And we'll talk about that more during the episode. But um, what that brought my journey as far as being able to teach others how to not only pay down their debt and be able to invest, but to also let themselves feel less ashamed about their money story. Um, because my money story is also very complex, as you can say. But um, since then, it's been an incredible journey. I was offered two TEDx talks. So both of them were on the um, the focus of financial literacy, the first one being called the foreign language of financial literacy. And the second one, uh, called the confidence gap, which is mostly catered around talking about the gender wage gap and obviously the lack of representation in our community. So, um, and if we don't have the buying power, guess what? We don't get to make those options and opportunities for our community. So, um, it's mm. been it's been my it's it's what I love to do. <laughs> it's to put it down to it. It's what I love to do. <laughs> yeah, it definitely sounds like it. And so you mentioned your money story. I love talking about that and kind of using that as an intro to really understanding your process and your path to getting to where you are today, because I feel like so many of us, especially first gen immigrant Latinas, like we have a money story that usually comes from our backgrounds. Our families teach us what not to do or what to do with money. So I'm curious what your money story is. Yeah, you know, it's funny listening to your podcast. I've been listening to so many of the episodes and 
you know, you and I, I, I feel like we obviously understand each other when you said first gen. So we become first generation in so many things. Um, you also had like a STEM, a STEM background as well, which is so impressive mm-hmm. when you hear other Latinas, because not only is there very few women in STEM um, majors like that we took on basically, but that also meant we were the very few women, women of color that also you know, entered into this job market the same way where um, most of my most of my career, the two major companies that I worked for for many years, I was the the first one. I was the only woman. I wasn't the only Latina. I was everybody else. There was pretty much Latino, but I was the only woman, and that was obviously another difficulty <laughs> dealing with that. The second yeah. one, I ended up being. Um, I thought, okay, here I am going into a better, bigger company. And turns out not only was I the only woman this time around, I was the only person of color and I was the only person of an under the age 40. So oh now, you know, this is, you know, other, another way to navigate being a first gen means um, mm-hmm. we are not only setting our own path, our own route, but we're also dealing with our own traumas. And my money story is, um, I think about it, I'm still reliving it right now. I mean, we're obviously recording this during a very difficult time with, not just the pandemic of COVID, but um, all the injustices that we're seeing within our Black communities, especially with the killing of George Floyd. And it brought up a lot of my own, um, I didn't even know it was PSD. I mean, my therapist was like, oh yeah, this is what a lot of people are, are going through because I grew up during the 92, which most people call the LA riots, but we called it the LA yes. uprising. I was mm-hmm. you know, raised in Inglewood, um, predominantly brown and Black community. And you know, we grew up seeing a lot of police brutality, uh, especially towards the black and brown men in our community. And so at an early age, I was affected by seeing my, my neighborhood already was struggling. Like I think people don't always, especially if people are listening to this, probably some other place in the world. Um, Inglewood back then too, it was financially was already struggling. It didn't, we didn't have all the resources, you know, a lot of these affluent cities had. And so when the riots hit, that mean, that meant, um, our whole community changed, meaning like I still remember the mom and pop shops blocks from where we lived. Not only were they looted, some of them were burnt to the ground. And I remember seeing grown men frustrated and crying, not understanding what was going on. And I was, I was about to turn 11. So as a kid, you're like, what is going on? Um, And as a kid, I always thought I still, I would still do this, especially as a kid, I drive and I'm like, when I, you know, when I grow up one day, I'm going to have so much money. I'm going to, I'm going to fix up my neighborhood. You know, I'm going to put money back mm. into this because I knew that if you had money, you had more opportunities to really create some change. Um, and the only way doing that, both my parents, obviously, um, they, they had to work the entire lives pretty much and sacrifice so much, but um, they knew that education would be an opportunity for us. So I went to college being the first to do that in my family was a whole nother aspect, but then choosing a career was, I wanted to do finance. I wanted to learn more about how to manage money. And, and that was, um, played a lot to my money story of not, I didn't come from a a place where our home wasn't necessarily, we weren't poor to the sense that we didn't, you know, we couldn't get by. My parents did really well as far as not only the roof our head, but the sacrifices did for our education. Um, but I, I was exposed to two different worlds. So when the 92 happened, it was in May. Okay. This was April 29th. May 2nd. And that week, they closed down our schools. And it wasn't like there was riotings all over the country like we're seeing right now. And it wasn't mm-hmm. I, what I love now. And I tell people, they're like, what do you see the difference? The difference I see now is that it's just not black and brown people walking the streets and protesting and, you know, using our voice. It's all people and to see white people joining too is, is beautiful, because now it's like, hey, it's not just us. And yeah. back then, um, 
you know, I, I thought about it and I'm like, I was a kid not understanding what was happening, but my parents basically pulled me out of my, I was ending fifth grade and put me into a private school, my sixth, my sixth grade. And back then there was no Facebook, no way to connect with your friends. So I lost all my friends instantly overnight. We didn't get to say goodbye to each other, anything of that. Um, And now I was surrounded with private school kids where it was actually a pretty diverse one. But when I went to high school, it was most uh, more than half were white, um, very fluent families. Um, So you know, my friend and I were, we, we joke around, we were like the poorest kids because we'd have to drive. My parents would drive us basically almost an hour each way to go to school. And um, now I'm wow. like surrounded by like really wealthy kids, um, you know, third generations and Latinos that, you know, have, you know, tons of businesses. I had a friend who's like family owned like 13 subways. This is before subway was huge. So, I mean, imagine how big mm-hmm. that was then <laughs> to compare how much mm-hmm. they own now. And um it was an eye-opener, but it also was such a cool opportunity because I got to see how the poor and the rich live, how we talk differently, how we have different worries. And um, I think being able to be have that insight from both allowed me to come from a place of more compassion, more understanding, um, and also gave me the responsibility to be that voice for, for my community because I never wanted to be that person to be like, oh, I'm, I'm bouncing out once I'm, I'm doing well and never give back. And in my, mm-hmm. in my family, especially Latino cultures, we know that we're about giving back to our community. So after um, years of working in corporate America, I founded a nonprofit that was um, called Ellie's Prom Closet. We were giving away everything for free, like prom dresses, makeup, jewelry. Um, and we got cool donations from like Jessica Alba, Fergie, like their actual dresses, right? And mm. um, And the way I did it, it was I had a few workshops and one of them was teaching financial literacy. And that one was my favorite because I wanted to teach these girls. I mean, half of these girls were coming from foster care. And this was right when the market had just crashed. This was back in 2007 and Mm -hmm. um, 2008, excuse me. And for them, I thought this is the best tool you'll get, learning how to manage your money. Um, And my money story was so complex that I tell them, I go, look, I didn't come from money. I had to learn how to, you know, learn first of it. And I had to make tons of mistakes, which I did. Um, and I, I dealt with depression. I dealt with the frustrations of, you know, not, not knowing how to do it. And also going to grad school, I didn't go to grad school until seven years after I, I graduated from college. Um, so I was a little bit older when I went back, but it, it took a toll on me cause I was working full time. Um, I was going to school full time and I was running this nonprofit full time as well. I had 11 board members. We had about a hundred volunteers. I mean, we had thousands of people that went through our program each year. And, um, it was not over overwhelming, but all of a sudden I had lost my job. The market was crashing and I worked for real estate development firm at the time. And I had just Mm -hmm. bought my first home, you know? So here I am 30 freaking out thinking, Oh my God, I'm going to lose my place. And I saw so many of my mentors losing their, their life savings, you know, um, during that time. So I was afraid it was going to happen to me. And so I spiraled into this heavy depression, um, Feeling, feeling ashamed that I had so much student debt um, that I didn't know if I was going to be able to keep my home. Um, and I didn't know who to talk to about this. And and that was the, that was a mistake I, I made. And that's what I learned that now I know there's resources and I'm, that's a big, I'm an advocate, not just for financial literacy, but for mental health, because our counties or cities have certain departments, certain resources. There's tons of nonprofits that will either do pro bono or low cost um, 
therapy sessions, support groups. And now because, I mean, back then there was no such thing as YouTube or Facebook too. That's something I always tell people right. now you can get therapy online, you know, podcasting <laughs> online. Like I remember listening to podcasting when I had to like hook it up in my computer at school. It wasn't oh my gosh. available on phone, <laughs> which is so easy now, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's been a trial and error. And, and for me, it was just kind of, I started to pay attention to what my boundaries were, what, um, I needed to learn for myself. And the, the thing I always tell people I take away from that experience was that if I don't, if I don't know how to take care of, if I can't take care of myself, I can't take care of my family. And for Latino cultures, especially women, especially we're told that family comes first, which I, I'm mm-hmm. obviously big from Libra as well, but I, I believe it comes second because if we can't take care of ourselves, we can't take care of our children, our community, our parents. And that's partly why we also suffer from a lot of, um, mental and physical and all these other traumas that our, our cultures are still learning to heal from. That is such a good point. So true. And so I'm curious, once you kind of, you know, hit that rock bottom, like what did it look like for you? What did your journey look like kind of getting yourself out of that situation and, and taking power back? Ah, oh, such a sigh <laughs> when you say that because, you know, it's, it's funny. It's always, now I've learned it, every time I speak about it, it becomes, it comes, a, it becomes a little bit of a therapeutic process for me too, but yeah. um, it's still very difficult in a sense where it took me eight years to publicly say I had a mental breakdown and that was um, put in a acute psychiatric hospital for two days for 36 hours mm-hmm. to be exact. And, um, and when I say that, and of course I have to tell you a little backstory real quick. When I decided to come public with it was, I would say at the worst possible time, but I was offered, I was offered this TEDx talk, which was like a dream come true. And I couldn't believe it. But my coach, cause you, you get paired up with the speech coach. Mm-hmm. He, um, he's, you know, he's like, you know what, I'm going to be frank with you. He's like, you're not that impressive. And I know what he was trying to do. And I know what he meant by that. But he said, um, you know, there's going to be tons of, you know, really extremely educated, well-known fluid people in the audience why should they listen to you? Why should somebody across the world listen to your talk for 10 minutes? Like what makes you different, mm-hmm. you know, teaching. So everybody talks, there's so many people that talk about money that, talk, that teach financial literacy that function might do what I do, but it's like, what makes you different? And, and I thought about it and I started to tear up and I started to cry telling him my story about having this mental breakdown and how I, my whole world basically stopped for almost two years. And so what that looked like, and I always tell people this, um, so why I decided during the TED talk is I thought this is a huge platform, but my grandmother unexpectedly died of a heart attack, like a week and a half after I got the notification that they sick elected me. And so these next three months I had, and there's a lot of prep work behind what to do a TEDx talk that a lot of people don't know. And so I was compelled to be like, you know what, I need to share my story because it's more of an honor of her. And I was still in that grieving process too, I think. So that's when I shared it. And when I started to share this uh, now two, two years later, the biggest thing I tell people was it's one, once it happens to you, you, you can't believe it happens to you too, because, um, I am my, my, one of my best friends is, um, two of them actually are, are therapists and social workers. And they said, after they saw what happened to me, they started to even treat their careers differently. And they'd been in the, been in the careers for over 20 years, but meaning they said I was a less likely person to ever have this breakdown. And what they meant by that, and I totally understand is, you know, I was really ambitious. I was always really successful in the sense I was always that happy person. Um, you know, that person that you would have never expected this to happen to. I was, you know, always healthy and through drugs, all these things. Um, but it happened. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's what's the powerful thing that people need to understand that 
your financial state has a lot to do with your physical and mental state. And most people that, especially my clients, God, thousands of my clients will tell me, hey, it's either a divorce, a death, or an illness, a disease, which I call. Any of those threes can put you in a financial ruins, basically, or financial hardship. And most most of us, Mm -hmm. we felt like we're drowning in debt or we don't know what the answers might be. And you kind of go through the spiral. And so the the building back process was extremely difficult for me, especially the first few months, because I, I remember I was crying like all the time. I had never experienced panic, panic attacks before until that happened. Um, you know, mm-hmm. my parents had never seen me like that. My, my husband, my, he was my boyfriend at the time. He also, they were like, no one had ever seen me experience a panic attack. And the anxiety level was so odd that I remember I couldn't sleep well. I had a lot of sleepless nights. Um, but what I had to start doing was, um, I was fortunate enough. My parents, I basically moved back there with my parents while my husband stayed at our condo and, um, I focused 24 seven on me. So that meant one, I couldn't work, which was really difficult for me. And luckily I had an emergency saving, a little cushion, which helped me pay for my bills, the mortgage, all these things that needed to be taken care of. Um, but I lost all my savings basically to do that. Right. And um, I look how fortunate I was because I had that. But at the same time, I'm like, man, everything that I worked for, I have pretty much lost. And my whole family thought so, too. They thought I was done because they're like, how is she ever going to recover from this? Um, it was such a slow process. Yeah. It felt like a slow process. And I started doing therapy one on one once a week with a, a therapist that was at a nonprofit. So it was a low cost because I didn't have a health insurance at the time. Um, I had lost my job and didn't do the, the whole transition thing. And then I was mm-hmm. doing once a week therapy with the group session, which was really helpful. And that was free because the LA County provided that. Um, but with that, it meant also I had to eat healthier. I had I started doing yoga again. Um, I was starting to talk a little bit more about what was going on through my mind and why I was feeling so anxious and this frustration that came along with everything. Um, and so it kind of felt like I had this pause for almost a year and a half. I felt like everything I worked for, you know, pretty much I blew it up in my face, which obviously wasn't the case. And, um, and I think that's the reason why I love sharing my story now. Not that I, it's easy. It's still extremely difficult because I don't know how people are going to take it. I don't know if people are going to mm-hmm. say, oh, she's crazy or, you know, the typical, and I'm Salvadorian. I hate it when I people, oh, Salvadorians are crazy or those horrible stereotypes <laughs> that we hear, you know what I mean? And it's that um, the Latinx culture still has um, to learn what therapy is and what it really can do. And so for me, my family was very nervous for me to share that publicly. But I said, look, if I can help other people. And today, Denise, I have to tell you, I still get emails from people saying, thank you so much. You know, the resources and what they've gone through. I mean, a lot of people don't know that most students, especially grad students, once they finish, um, they, you know, contemplate suicide. They contemplate all these um, emotional traumas because they're, you know, they're drowning in like six figure debt. And um, and so Mm -hmm. when people reach out to me and say, this really helped me or you know, I thought I was the only one. And I, I tell you, sometimes people think it's only us young people that go through that. And and not true. I, I have, I had a few women Absolutely right after. So, no, right. It's any age. And I had this woman who, she was in her late 60s, had just been laid off for 30 years at this company. And, and she hugged me and she goes, you know, she goes, I, I thought I was dying. And I didn't know what, why I was feeling this way. And it's obviously the more the loss of you know, losing my job, my stability, the income. And that's what people are fearing right now. Mm-hmm. I'm feeling, you know, unemployment is the highest we've ever seen in this country. Re- this recession is going to be one of the hardest ones we've ever seen. 
And that's something I yeah. think why we need to, to get these resources out. And I'm so proud of you about this podcast because the fact that you are highlighting other women, other Latina too, which is great, um, is 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 for people to not only be able to see themselves and see that representation, which is really important, but to know that these resources are out there for them, whether it's free or low cost or whatever they have to invest and sell in themselves, because in the long run, money is not something that, or investing in yourself is not an overnight thing. It takes time, it takes mm -hmm. effort, and it takes a lot of money. And I always tell people that I'm like, I started taking tons of like real estate education courses. I mean, I still remember one program I paid for 20 grand. This was because there was no such thing as YouTube or Facebook back then. <laughs> um, so you could only attend live events, right? And it was a week mm -hmm. course, but it was, it came back trifold. It was amazing what I learned there. But I think those are the things that sometimes our communities need to hear that we have to invest in ourselves. Yes. Um, but secondly, we have to talk to our family and our friends and our colleagues about what we're doing to make better financial decisions, because then we learn from their mistakes as well as what, what's worked for them. And in our cultura, that's the biggest thing. They're like, oh, don't talk about money. It's a taboo. And, and I'm like, that's completely yes. wrong. This is why our, our culture still um, struggles the most with finances, because you know, how do you know what, what your, you know, the language, that's why I call it financial literacy as a language. How do you know what the language is when you buy a home? How do you know the language is when you're um, renegotiating your salary? How do you know what that language looks like when you're investing? Um, and, and it is, it's a whole new process of learning the terms, what they mean. And right now I'm every day I'm seeing new programs and things that are altering to, to obviously fit what's going on within the U.S. country as far as um, when it comes to the economy. And I think mm -hmm. it's it's part of an ongoing education that we need to do for ourselves. Well, I totally agree with you. And I think it's the same reason why we need to not only talk about money, but talk about mental health, because our communities are not known for like being able to talk about these types of things. There's a lot of stigma around mental health. And the more that we normalize it and literally talk about it like you're treating an illness because that's what it is right we we're really quick to like find all these remedies for physical ailments but like the mental aspect of your health is super important and it affects everything that you do so i just thank you for your honesty and for being a voice for what that looks like because it's something that we really need to talk about more yes and and, and i appreciate you saying that because it's that whole, you know, it's funny. I always get this. People are like, well, therapy is expensive. And I say, yes, I get that. And if you don't have insurance, of course. However, there's other resources. There are free resources, right? Depending where you live in your state. I know you're in New York and I'm in LA, but our counties, our services, there's nonprofits as well that will either do free pro bono or they'll do low cost. Um, and this is one thing I always tell people too. Someone tells me all the time, oh, I don't want to pay 150 for a session. And I go, trust me, that 150, whether it's one or two sessions, hopefully it's consistent. But that can change how much I spent thousands of dollars because I didn't know I should have done therapy prior. And, mm -hmm. and I go, what would you rather do? Spend thousands of dollars on medication, on all this other therapy or afterwards, after the fact that you had your breakdown as opposed to the preventative, right? And, and that's something right. that we need to um, understand that investing in ourselves also means our, our mental health, our state. Because when we're, we're mentally healthy, then we can make the right financial de decisions. And, and I think, uh, especially my clients, most of them, when they're going through like divorce or something just traumatic, the loss of a loved one, um, especially in our Latino culture, culturas, how many times do you get a, a GoFundMe or, you know, mm. something for, for someone that just lost someone? And I'm thinking, God, they can't even mourn um, 
because they have to try to come up with the funds, right? They don't have, they didn't yeah. have life insurance or they didn't have any, you know, backup plan or anything. And I think that's always so um, detrimental and why we need to have these conversations so we can hopefully avoid some of that, right? But it's mm-hmm. not easy. And, and I love what you're doing because you're using this platform to not only elevate women, but to give them some of these stories and resources. So know that they're not the first going through it and unfortunately mm-hmm. won't be the last, but um, some beautiful stuff can come out of it. You know, like actually um, I would have never imagined the the, the type of um, recognition and things that have happened in the past couple of years from coming out publicly and saying that I went through that. Cause before I used to just said I went through depression, that was it. But when I really started to start sharing my story um, you know, I, I was offered a, a commercial for Honda and me too to do to, to basically be myself and, and, and walk through this millennial, like as a financial expert talking about like things that they can do um, and, you know, seeing other videos, features, I did a 60 second doc feature. They did it on me based on wealth and, you know, things that I would have never could imagine first of all, but the fact that mm-hmm. both of those got over a million views, yeah, a couple million. And it's like, those are the things that, um, I, I, you probably read a, one of Harry Potter books, JK Rowling, but one of the things mm-hmm. that I love about her, her, one of her speeches, and she says it so well, I'm going to paraphrase it, but, um, what she talks about basically our gift, right? You have a gift having this podcast, being able to use that platform, your voice. But she says, when we, um, when we learn to identify with our privileges, our status, when we learn to identify with not only the, the powerless, but with the powerful, that when we use those talents, it's not only our proud family that will celebrate our existence, but it'll be the thousands and millions of people's of lives we've helped change. And for me, I think that's exactly so true. And and when I get, you know, emails, I get emails daily and it's just beautiful. And, you know, when people are, are going through something difficult and not only can they resonate and say, oh my gosh, okay, I'm going through this and I know I'll get through it. But it's it's this little hope that you you feel because I know I felt completely hopeless and that's what was happening. I was beyond depressed. I was crying all the time and I didn't know how to how to get better. And so um, sometimes it's just taking that first step and talking about it. Absolutely, absolutely. So along those lines, so you talked about kind of when you decided to really just open up and and share your full experience. You found that that authenticity connected with people in a way that. Maybe, you know, things you'd been doing previously just didn't connect in the same way. So I'm curious, like, how do you continue to maintain that that authenticity? And like, what advice do you have for people that are putting themselves out there, right? Like being a quote unquote influencer and a speaker and mm-hmm. someone who educates people, like putting yourself out there. And that can be really scary. And I think sometimes we feel, especially as Latinas, like we have to conform to this idea <laughs> of whiteness or whatever is mm-hmm. like palatable for people. So how do you combat those thoughts? So a couple of things for me, um, I'm fortunate enough that I was surrounded by amazing women my entire life. My abuelitas, my, my mom, my tias um, were extremely supportive, meaning, you know, it, it's funny. I never knew how, how, how lucky we were until my cousins would tell us, they're like, you know, our, this is something they'd always tell us. Our aunts would always tell us we're so beautiful and we're so smart. It was never one or the mm-hmm. other. It was like, and it was like, we believed it, you know, <laughs> as kids. And that's mm-hmm. what you should hear, right? But I yeah. think having, being surrounded by people that are going to not only challenge you, but motivate you, like partnerships is really important. Um, you know, for me, I didn't get married till I was 31. And um, I, we knew each other for a long time too. So it's like, 
for me, it was understanding that no matter what partnership, whether it's in marriage or business um, or the or your best friends or people that you surround yourself the most, that's going to be a big key because not only are going to help you um, elevate you to a better level, but keep you, you know, they keep you grounded and they also keep an eye on you. Like, Hey, how are you doing? How are you feeling? And for me right now that it's been really difficult because, you know, it's emotionally draining everything that's going on. And, but I also recognize that's mm-hmm. a privilege that you and I have that we can like turn it off for a little bit if we need to, like, I can't imagine what these families are going through right now during a pandemic. Yeah. And, you know, but what I always think of is taking, whether it's 20 minutes or an hour a day for myself. So that could be through, I do meditation every day. I journal at least every day for like five minutes. And I always put at least five things that I'm grateful for. And every day, it's not that easy. You know, some days you're just like, I'm just happy I had coffee today, or (laughs) I got up or I got up, you know, because there's some days you're like, I need to stay in bed, I just can't do it. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, those little things that we take for granted sometimes. And also, for me, it's checking in, like listening to your podcast too. Like that's a way of form of therapy because, you know, I, I was listening to some of the other episodes and, and hearing these women that talk about their journey when they went to college and, you know, studying abroad. Like I heard jo- Joy Valerie. It's like, I love hearing their stories because um, it's kind of that therapeutic in the sense where I can identify and say, you know what? Oh my gosh, I went through that too. And I didn't know how difficult that was. Um, I didn't know, mm-hmm. I didn't know other people didn't go through the same thing I did where, you know, I, like I said, when I was in college, I graduated in 2004 and most of my finance classes, business classes were primarily went men. Um, all my professors were all white and male. I had mm-hmm. one, one accounting um, professor who was Korean, um, a Korean lady, but it was like the representation for women were just not there and let alone people of color. Like there was even a smaller group of us. And as we become, my mom told me too, she's like, as you become more educated or more um, influential or whatever you want to call it to, you know, in these spaces, you see less and less of yourself. And it's true. And, and, and it's difficult and it's frustrating. But what I'm reminded of myself is that my, my grandma used to say this all the time too, but you know, we are our ancestors wildest dreams come true. So that means we might be, the first example for our family, for our cultura, for for our countries, for, you know, I'm I'm a proud Salvadoreña, but I'm also proud. I became a citizen when I was 13. And I feel like mm-hmm. I can represent not only like, like Latinas and Latinx, but I can represent those that are immigrants. I can represent those that are, you know, feeling like they, we always are told that we feel like we're not good enough, right? I'm not either not mm-hmm. Latina enough or I'm not Salvadorian enough or I'm not, you know, there's always something with it. And yeah. Um, you know, taking time to really focus on yourself, I think is, is crucial. Like listing, I always tell people list 10 things that you, um, are grateful for about yourself. And for me, I always say like, oh, it's my education, my health, um, you know, the people that I, I, rec- um, I surround myself with. And then I also tell people to put 10 things down that there are challenges that they had to overcome. And that's really hard for most of us because, that means we might have to relive some traumatic things um, or we mm-hmm. might have to really come to grips of what happened to us. Um, in my se- second TEDx talk, I described the, the reasons why we need to do that, particularly for Latina. And obviously most of your listeners are Latina. We, um, we are constantly in that we compare ourselves to others, right? And mm-hmm. if we start to learn and hone on our own, like my mom would always say, God never made a mistake with your color. And I love that she would always say that over and over. I didn't really understand it why, but till this day, I've never dyed my hair. Like I'm always brown and proud. Like I have the dark brown hair, the eyes, the light. And, and I knew a lot of my girlfriends, you know, struggled with that. And I could never like not look Latina, I guess, a stereotypical type, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but I understood why she said that because, 
it's true. You see pictures of me, especially in corporate settings. Well, it's like literally I stick out. And um, mm-hmm. and I think when I honed, honed into that early on that I was like, okay, I'm going to be different, but that means I'm most likely going to be the first to do it. And that means I'll be an example for somebody else. And um, I think that's what keeps me every day, like reminded, like, Hey, I'm doing what I need to do. And it's all taking one step at a time. And I know you probably go through this too, as a podcaster, um, you know, we feel like we have to do everything and, and then we got to do the social media aspect and then we got to, um, promote it. And then we have to, you know, edit all these things that happened. Um, and so what I started to do is just make a list of my priorities and then, Mm -hmm. um, enrolling people that, also want to be part of the journey because it's one thing shining your own light but when you start shining light with others I think that's also extremely therapeutic because you see yourself in other people and you see if someone would have helped me in this particular part this would have been easier and then I always say because someone did help me in this place this is why I'm returning the favor to somebody else um and I, I commend you for what you do because I mean I've been podcasting now for three years but I have a team like I have someone that does the editing the music um, and um, I just record and, and I know how much work that is, you know, and I think that sometimes people don't see the behind process, but at the same time, I think this is what becomes, um, it's part of our journey. This is part of what creates who we are as a person, who we are as a leader, who we become as, I guess, influencers now that we say that right. Um, mm-hmm. but it's because we, we've, we've done the grunt work we've done, um, the behind the scene, people only see the end results and, you know, too often I get, right. right? And I'm sure you get that from, I love all your posts on social media. And I think when I see some of these things, it's, it's kind of like, I love that Instagram can be that, like the highlighted part. Right. But it's, Mm -hmm. it's in the in-between phases that really matter. And I think, um, just recently, so I have a coach as well and she, um, I downplayed because I was like, Oh yeah, I finally got my, my book is also in Spanish. My first one, um, it just became available on Kindle on Spanish and it took me about three years to get that done. That's a whole nother wow. story. But, um, you know, my first book took me about almost two years to write. And then I have two more that are coming out this summer and all these things, it takes years for me. It's taken mm-hmm. years in certain places. Right. And, um, we kind of, we learn in our cultures not to brag about our accomplishments, but oh this God, is yes. right. And this is, this is the big problem. So this is why I, I advocate this so strongly. And I tell people, watch my second t- Ted talk if you want, especially for women, because this is one of the reasons there's so many reasons why the gender wage gap exists. Um, but particularly for Latinas, a lot of people don't understand that. Okay. Women of color are not only making less money. We have, the stats will show, right? So Asian American women usually get paid the highest. They're at the usually 81%, 81 cents to the dollar, right? To compare to their white male counterparts. Um, African American women are getting paid 64 cents to their white male counterparts. Native American women are getting paid 63 cents. Oh no, sorry, not true. 57 cents to counterpart. Latina women, it is at 53 cents. In California, particularly, I know my stats because that's where I'm from, is 41 cents to the dollar. And so wow. there's that is what is horrible the injustices that comes with that but there's one thing that I say that we can take control of is how we can get paid better how we can negotiate better and how we can promote ourselves so our culturas they tell us don't say it because people are going to think oh you're presumida you're like you're conceited or whatever and Mm -hmm. and that's one that's completely false if you are doing something that is um of worth it is you took your time your money and energy to do it let people know men have no problem saying oh yeah let me pat myself on the back i just closed on that deal yet for women <laughs> it's like oh well someone's going to eventually recognize that and i'll tell you this all my mentors had been men at that point too because i was surrounded by men right 
And right. um, the biggest thing that I learned early on, one of my very first bosses who was like an awesome mentor, he was like, why do you always kind of downplay when you just accomplished something or you did something? And I go, because I was told not to, or, you know, eventually my work would be recognized. And he's like, that's bullshit. He's like, <laughs> sorry, I don't know if you can curse, right? But he goes. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online store shop phase to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com dinero, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com dinero now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com dinero. No, yes, you absolutely can. <laughs> <laughs> straight up, he's like, it was bullshit. And he's like, um, he's like, he's like, when are you expecting people to find out about it if you don't talk about it? And I go, well, that's true, first of all. And I had to learn how to do my own elevator pitch. And too often, I'll run into women, especially in my line of field. I'm in the finance industry, right? So I meet extremely accomplished women, you know, freaking badass women that are like, you know, bringing in not only the dough, but are doing incredible things and usually the first. And often they'll they'll be like, oh yeah, I have my PhD, and but they tone it down like it wasn't a big deal. I'm like, first off, you need to check yourself on your elevator pitch. And what I mean by that is one of my favorite mentors. She's a PhD. She has she was a single mom of three, Latina, and it took her like 15 years to get her formal education after high school because she worked part full time and then went to school part time to get her PhD. And she owns it and she tells people like, hey, it was not easy. And the same thing I tell people, I'm like, no, it took me years to get to this point. And I explain why. And I say, you know what? I also came from very um, challenging backgrounds because then what happens is when we start to own our stories with our challenges as well as our accomplishments, then not only do we create more value for ourselves, but then we can compete with people that might have a higher Excalibur. So what I mean by that is I get paid extremely well when I'm when a keynote speaker, right? 
Um, I'm in the mm-hmm. thousands. I'm in the thousands uh, per, per keynote, right? And so um, the crazy thing is I had to learn how to do not only my own pitch, but why why a person's going to hire you for their national conference, right? So they'll look at, let's say, three candidates. Um, and the other candidates could be most likely usually white male or white female, right? And myself. Mm-hmm. And they might have better, have better education. Maybe they went to a better Ivy League school or they went to, you know, whatever their background might be. Um, there's always like that line that we're like, we're never, we feel like we're never good enough. But it's like when you really look at the numbers and this is how I have it in my, in my kit, it's like, oh, first off, yes, I didn't go to an Ivy League school, but I not only got two degrees in business, I went to school full time. I was working full time. I'm also a scholar. I got tons of scholarships. I dealt with debt. I also came from a very poor uh, neighborhood, um, also immigration, an immigrant family that was actually a refuge family as well. We weren't just immigrants like, hey, you know, we decided to, you know, plan years in advance to get here. It's like, no, they left out of fear because one of my uncles was killed. He was a civilian. So I go, now we're dealing with all those other traumatic things. And um, and we've learned to adversity was like basically an everyday thing for us. And so Mm -hmm. when when people start hearing those type of stories, they're like, whoa and my and my boss would say that he's I remember once I was I had just bought my first rental place I was so excited and I shared it with one of our in-house brokers and this guy was like second generation you know real estate developer like his family had money right um Mm -hmm. like a white guy as well and he you know I told him I'm excited and he and he kind of like oh not a big deal he's like I had 10 by the time I was your age or something stupid (laughs) that was like a stupid gesture and I was like I knew he was joking at the same time but I'm like oh you jerk I know what you mean too and then my other boss my boss my the main boss overheard it he's like he looked at me and he goes like don't listen to this fool he's like (laughs) I still remember he goes he's like if he would have gone through half of what you went through he's like he would be nowhere near what you are at and I was like Thank you. And that's what it happens. <laughs> that's what we need to learn to do as Latinas, as women, is to be able to share that because then we're like, you know what? Yeah, I did that. It was a team effort. It, you know, and what happens too is when we start to lower and devalue ourselves, like I, I hate the word humble. Like I know what it means. I know what it means to be humble, but I think people get that word confused. What they're trying to say is be grounded. Humility is very mm-hmm. different. We're, we, we need to always be humble. I understand that. But being grounded is also a, a huge asset. And when you're explaining yourself to get that, that promotion or, you know, negotiating to get paid better um, or, you know, get that job, it's, it's being grounded, but also being able to properly tell people what your accomplishments are. And what happens if we don't do that, then we devalue everything that our family, our friends, our, our loved ones have sacrificed to get us where we are today. There's no way I would be where I am today if my parents didn't work full time, um, if, I, if they didn't sacrifice me taking to a private school, which was 10 times more expensive than it could ever been, like just be staying at a public school, right? And um, mm-hmm. those are the things that... And I think about that where I'm like, if I make it seem like it wasn't a big deal getting my, you know, college degree, I don't, I don't get to honor my grandmothers who barely had a third grade education level. And their, their biggest dream was to see their daughters and granddaughters go to school and and get the education they were, they weren't allowed to get. And so when I hear someone devalue their worth or just make it seem like, oh, no, not a big thing. And, you know, they say it like that, or I, I always correct them, like, stop saying it's not a big thing because it takes time to do it. Like you as a podcaster, it takes hours to edit, to schedule, to, to plan, to, you know, the whole process. And people need to know that. So when we're asking for sponsorships, when we're asking for money, money, it becomes this confidence level. And if we look at basketball players, we look at, you know, the, some of the, the most influential guys, 
they always take the credit, right? They know it's a team effort, oh, but they, absolutely. Even, they even say like, well, yeah, if, if it wasn't for me, you know, practicing every day, eight <laughs> hours a day on the gym or whatever, I wouldn't get to this point. And I'm like, that's exactly what women need to learn how to do and say, you know what? It wasn't easy, but I had to come up on, on totally different things. There's moments where we had to like take the Metro to work as opposed to someone that's like, oh yeah, I live down the street because I can afford to, right? I don't have to worry about student mm-hmm. debt or, um, you know, your white male counterparts that are literally getting paid more than double than you are. And can invest, can do the things that it takes us longer to get to. And um, I hope I, I might, I feel like I, I rambled on, but I think it's an important part when it comes to um, doing self-care is also self-reflection of what you've accomplished because your, your challenges are really what will get you to that next step. And, and I think too often we make that really difficult and say, well, I'm not, not only not good enough because the world's telling me I'm not good enough, but I'm not at the place that I want to be. And when we just start recognizing, it's like, you know what, it's, you're, you're here today, you're healthy, and you have opportunities that our ancestors never had. I think we're on the right track. <laughs> Are you one of 76% of Latinos that don't have a will? Okay, I get it. Thinking about estate planning is just not the most fun thing, but we have to make sure that if we're building wealth, that we're protecting it and making sure that our assets are passed down to our loved ones as easily and painlessly as possible. Now, traditional estate planning can be super expensive. I'm talking thousands of dollars and the whole process can feel super overwhelming. Like what documents do you need? How do I make sure my pets are taken care of? How do I make sure who is going to take care of my kids if something happens to me? These are all questions that you've been asking yourself. I'm here to offer you a solution. Gentrio is a company that helps you create, store, and share the important documents you need for official estate planning. This includes wills, power of attorneys, and more. On this show, we talk a lot about building generational wealth, and we have to make sure that we're protecting it. So that's why I want you to go to yoquierotineropodcast.com slash Gentrio and find out more today. Life is a journey. Gentrio is with you every step of the way. Find out more by heading to yoquierodineropodcast.com slash G-E-N-T-R-E-O and get started today. Absolutely. I love everything that you said. And I, you know, I think it's a, a big cultural thing that keeps us from kind of being able to, to, humble brag because we do accomplish a lot of shit like and we're just not okay with putting it out there I don't know if it's a function of being a woman if it's a function of being Latina maybe it's both maybe it's just I don't know I don't know what it is but I know that I've personally struggled with the same thing like for the longest time you know I would really just kind of play down my accomplishments and we don't do any favors, you know, no, to no, ourselves. And it, it is, a, it is, a, it is, a, um, it is how we're brought up too. You know, um, in my home, it wasn't tradition. I didn't grow up in a traditional home, meaning both my parents were real feminists. My, my dad didn't even know what that was, but he was, he's, he was raising me like a son. Basically I was this first, I was this first. And he told me early on, he's like, I expect you to have your education, your career, and at least a home if you decide to settle down. And I love that message. So throughout my whole childhood, even until I got to college, I, I didn't think otherwise. I was like, no, nah, I'm getting my shit straight before I, if I decide to get married. <laughs> like I was being told what most men are being told. Let's just put it that way. Um, mm-hmm. And until this day, I hear women that are three times my age will always say, I never once heard that message and I wish I would have, right? And so the thing about 
being raised by like my dad because he 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 was um, self-employed working as a plumber my mom was working full time she was like the badass executive on the side but with him I think he was always reminding me he's like you might have to work and he would say you have to work three times as hard right he's like you're you're woman you're Latina and you're an immigrant he's like people you know you just have to work three times as hard to be seen as an equal but he's like so let people know why you deserve to be there and if someone tells you you don't have to be there you, you don't deserve you could one you could ignore them because they're not worth your energy but if you are going to be there then you let them know take up that space and um the funny things i have to tell you so what it's june two months ago i was featured in forbes which is crazy it was crazy mm-hmm. when i got this congratulations this email. thank you it was like i got the email from one of the columnists and she she actually sat in one of the webinars i was giving and so she saw what I was teaching for about an hour. And she's like, I love your story. I would love to feature you. And I'm like, are you serious? But the funny thing is, um, you know, she's asking me some of these questions. I had to remind myself that, oh, my God, it's a lot of it was because, you you know, earlier we're saying it's it is a woman thing. Like we're not we're almost told to not only be quiet or wait, wait till we're being asked mm-hmm. to speak. But my dad was like, nah, you have to throw yourself in there. And in my college, I remember my college class, especially my um, upper level since most of them were men, they would never raise their hand. They would just blurt out the answer. And then I, you know, and it was like, it it was frustrating because I was like, wait, here I am raising my hand in the beginning. I'm like, oh, forget that. I'm going to start doing what they're doing. Um, And then I would sit in my other, like I had a Latino, um, Latino American study class, primarily Latina women, and everyone was raising their hand. And I'm like, oh, that's the (laughs) difference. You know, it's like, and guys will literally throw themselves out and be like, oh yeah, I can do that. Or, you know, oh yeah, I have this background. And it's like, they have no problem with that. So when we start to really teach ourselves how to use the lingo in a sense where, and and, and not to come off, you know, um, conceited or, or, or that we're bragging, but it's if, if, if we're not telling our stories, who's going to tell our stories? We don't see ourselves in the media for sure, right? Hollywood is not a place that's highlighting Latina women. There's like two or three. Like I love America Ferreira. I love seeing, you know, Eva Longoria. Both of these women have their masters, by the way, too. Like these are another badass Latinas that are doing what they're doing. I am but, obsessed with know, both of them. <laughs> yeah, me too. And and, and and Eva went to my my alma mater, CSUN. So I was like, ah, actually, she graduated the same year. I didn't get to see her, like, just walk the stage. Oh, that's but, awesome. So you're surrounded by very few women in the field, let alone, like, you could see yourself in, right? Now they're starting to create more mm-hmm. content that is reflective of us. But we, we're definitely not seeing us in our media. And, and I started doing this. Um, there was no such thing as, like, financial influencer and I found that so funny you know all of a sudden Instagram had all these different um I was late to the game social media is I'm so late to it like I'm not um I'm the least tech savvy person so for me I you know the fact that it's evolved to this place I love it the fact that now you could find podcasting that is catered for women for people of color for that next you mm-hmm. know this has grown um the fact that I used to never see these spaces there was very few women um, and back then I remember the only two Latinas that I knew of were like second generation, didn't speak Spanish, um, blonde hair, light eyes. Like you couldn't even tell there were, you know, like, the they look like anchors. Yeah. Oh yeah, exactly. You see anchors. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, how, what am I? And I used to, I used to ask my mom, like, what am I supposed to do? Do I need to like dye my hair blonde? Do I need to like, what do I need to do? You know? Um, but you know, those are the things that. I think right now is such a crucial time and, and, and seeing these, um, I know you, I, I saw that you had Yanelli on your podcast, like all these other women mm-hmm. that, um, that are, I, I call them the next generation. I look at them as like amazing, my amazing little sisters. Cause they're doing yeah. <laughs> amazing things that I could have never done. Um, 
And the fact that it's because women before me, those few that were there, you know, took the the leap, I can do what I do. And then what I'm doing, and then when I meet younger group girls like that, women that I'm like, are doing incredible stuff, it's like, we're, we're heading in the right direction. And we're no longer waiting for um, the media or Hollywood to, to, to highlight us. We're like, we'll make our own platforms and we'll, we'll figure it out yeah. and we'll speak out for other women to be like, no, I know plenty of women that are more than capable to do this. <laughs> well, and that's why I love social media. I feel like it's been a, a kind of an equalizer for just giving access to people to put their voices out there. And it's not just like you need a book deal or you need a movie deal or, you know, you need to know be, somebody famous to get out there. Like you can become that, that influencer. So I actually want to talk on that a little Mm -hmm. bit. So, you know, obviously there's, um, there's some connotations when it comes to being an influencer. And so I'm curious, like, what are some things that you love and hate about kind of having that platform? (laughs) Um, I laugh because, um, well, first off, I don't consider myself. I mean, it just sounds funny to me. But that's what we are. That's the word. Right, right. And, that's, and, and, and I have to, yeah, I'm, I'm learning to own up to it. I always think of when Oprah says that when, when people started asking her what's I, I her mean, brand. I mean, the Kardashians, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. No, I, I get it. We're, you know, and I think that's what it is. It's getting used to that. So what I love and hate about it is... Um, well, so I, I think about that. So I remember hearing this. Um, I love reading bio, biographies and, and hearing audios, but... Oprah's first few times where people are like, so what's your brand? And she's like, what's your, what, what do you mean by my brand? You know, like, and that's what I like. And that's what happened to me a few years ago. I think oh, three years ago, people started really asking me, what's your brand? What's your brand? And I'm like, my brand. Um, and <laughs> meaning, you know, I, I wasn't really sure. I'm like, I don't know. I'm, I'm getting paid. Does it, does it matter? Like, you know, I have my, I'm, I have work. What, what do you mean by a brand? Um, and then people started, well, actually about eight years ago, People were like, oh, you're that financially savvy Latina because my book was so long, the financially savvy in 20 minutes, right? So they just, they're uh-huh. like, and you're Latina, you know, I'm like, oh, okay. So it, it just kind of caught on. Um, and for me, I think what I love about it is that people can now associate a face to different um, important topics, right? So for me, I, I, I advocate on financial literacy. I advocate on investing. I advocate on mental health because I believe your mental, physical, financial state is all connected, um, especially your spirituality too. That's a whole nother thing you and I can talk about because our cultures were about holistic, um, you know, holist- holisticity. And I think that's one of the things that I'm like, oh, this is, I guess, part of my brand. But um, mm-hmm. it's also been very cool because what happens is you also get connected with other people that in, are either in a similar space or um, or you just learn. Like I, I have some amazing friends who are not only colleagues, but they're become good friends that have huge platforms. and the way they handle it is so graceful because there's moments where I'm like, I have a small following compared to the, that they and they do. And um, I don't even know how they handle I'm like, I even tell them like, how do you deal with like these random DMs or, you know, you know, how do you cope with, obviously you can't help everybody or you can't do everything. Cause I mean, I get this a lot too still, but you know, people expect you to work for free and I'm like, Oh, sorry, I don't do that. Like I, I'm not in that place anymore. Absolutely right. Not. You know, in the beginning <laughs> I get it, you know, in the beginning I get it, but um, I think that's the hard thing too, because sometimes people think um, your brand cannot evolve. And I think that's false because it needs to, um, it needs to evolve with what's going on. It needs to grow. And, and it, it has to, I think also happen organically. Like I didn't like my first 
big thing that I, I could say connected to my brand was when my first book came out. And then mm-hmm. um, years later, I decided to do a podcast. And then years later, I was doing the YouTube. I was doing um, social media content. Um, and then I started doing collaborations with big companies that were um, allowing me to create my own content with you know, their sponsorship. And all those things evolved. It wasn't like overnight. And it wasn't like the first year that I set up every you know, platform on, on online. It was like, no, you had to, you know, I had to really do the work. Um, and I think that's the, the cool thing is that we allow ourselves to do that. But I think the hardest part still is, is that you're always in the eye of something, right? And there's moments where I question myself and I'm like, ooh, is this too off brand? Like actually just the most recent posts um, for anyone that watched, looks at my Instagram, I, I and I'm, I don't know if you ever go through that too, but I had a real frustration, but I'm like, I have to voice what was going on. I couldn't be silent. Um, you know, talking about all these injustices that are happening. And a lot of my posts had to be about, you know, how you can get can connect it with the family, how you can, you know, figure out how we could defund the police or figure out how we can um, reroute money that needs to go to causes that really are creating change in our community. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, even my last episode that I did was a Black Lives Matter one. And I know for me, sometimes it's scary because then I, one, it's taking away from what I normally talk about, which is all about finances. But I also feel it's important to have because, I mean, that's the whole point of having a platform, right? And um, I had to really kind of do some reflection, say, you know what, if I lose, you know, if it's only one person that ends up listening to my podcast because it was had nothing to do with what I normally speak on, um, I'm okay with that. Instead of having thousands of people that don't don't share the the belief that everyone deserves to be treated equally. And, and, and mm-hmm. obviously, uh, um, I mean, at the end, we're all global citizens first. You know, it's not about where you came from or where you are, but it's having that humanity. And, you know, we see our children, we see children, I mean, in cages, like those are the things that I can't, I can't even, it's, it's even hard to talk about. But I think when we use some of our platform um, as influencers, I think that's the beautiful part. You'll either gain the people that will believe in that sense in the same cause, but you might lose some of those people too. But I think that's also kind of something we have to be willing to do. We might even lose some sponsorships. There's, I'm sure there's sponsors that I've um, turned away because I'm just like, this does not jive with what I'm talking about. And if anything, yeah. you're taking advantage of my community. And I'm, you know, um, there's conferences I don't and companies that I no longer support because I'm like, they've made it very clear what their stance is. And, and you could also tell which companies are um, are trying to get on the wave or like, oh, yeah, we, we do care. We do care about Black. It's like, I'm mm-hmm. like, now you care because only people are calling you out on it, um, not because it That's was authentic. So true. Care, right. And so I think people need to uh, learn to also reflect on that because um, people will see that. And for me, too, when I'm creating content, I am so careful and I think it's become more of a responsibility. And I think that's probably another issue maybe that I don't like the influencer title, but it's the truth is um, it comes with a lot more responsibility. And that means it comes with a lot more criticism. And, and for example, is some of the two, two videos that I did that were collaborations, but content that I created, um, you know, the fact that I was like, oh my God, they're getting a million views and here and there. Well, I didn't take an effect that, oh, yeah, I was going to get at least 100 horrible co- uh, comments. And they weren't even mm. comments about my content. They were most like, most of them were racist. Most of them were, yeah. you know, just horrible, you know, those haters. And, um, and I think that's kind of the backlash we don't always prepare ourselves in. And even when it's like something beautiful and exciting that it's like, hey, guys, I'm sharing this thing that just happened to me. You know, then the haters come out and you're just like, dang, I didn't expect that. 
Um, but you start- I don't think we can ever adequately prepare for that. No, That's and, and- number one. Because I think it comes back to like when we were bullied as kids, like you get this like sense that you want to go into the shell and like never come back out. But yeah. it's one of <laughs> It's mm-hmm. a necessary evil because you're putting yourself out there, right? Like, it's just, it is oh, what it is. And that's what it is. You put yourself out there. And I have to share with you, one of my um, my friends, she's so funny because I, I had a, a moment that I was, like, so frustrated that, like, people, that, especially when you know them, I think that's when it's more hurtful. You're like, hey, you can be a hater mm. like that. And it was yeah. a colleague's comments. And, and I, to- I told her, I'm like, I'm just feeling a little down, you know, instead of being excited about what just happened. And she laughed and she goes, oh, she goes, man. I wish I had that. She's like, I wish I had haters because that, that lets you know I'm doing something right. And I'm like, you're right. <laughs> She's like, I wish I had That's more haters. That's a good point. <laughs> and but I know, you know what she the thing, I, I think what a lot of people don't realize that behind these brands and these, you know, things that you follow on Instagram, like it's a person. Mm-hmm. So if you're following a brand or a person on a superficial level, just because you you love what they put on Instagram, but you don't want to love who they are as a person and like know who they are as a person. Like I don't personally want you as a follower mm-hmm. because there's I have more facets to me than just like financial information. Like mm-hmm. I have a whole belief system. And if you're not jiving with that, then this probably is not the space for you. Yep. And I think um, we have to just continue to drive that message because that's the only way to be authentic in my opinion. Like you can't just decide like, okay, I'm going to have this little cookie cutter, like presentation mode that I go on on social media, but that's not really like what I'm about because Mm -hmm. then you don't form authentic connections with people. At least that's my opinion. No, no, I think you're right on. And you know, what's beautiful now. And I think this is something I'll tell you that's been different in the last 20 years. Um, Personally, I think is, now we no longer have to, I used to say like, invite me, invite me to the table, like invite me to the table. Now I'm like, mm-hmm. um, the last five years, I'm like, you know what? I'm cool. I'm like, I'm creating my own table and bringing people with me. Yes. So I think that's something we need to, 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 you know, celebrate and, and enforce. And, and the more I meet, I've met so many women of color that are in this space now, which is, I mean, it's just beautiful to me. And I think that's something that I, that's what gets me going every day, honestly. And, and, and that's where minds are like, Hey, we are creating our own space. We are creating our own tables. And for me too, when I'm, when I'm doubtful of anyone that's listening, that maybe has their own business or thinking of starting one, when I'm ever doubtful or, or question or like, why do I charge this? Or why do I, why am I, you know, why am I, why not am I giving this content for free? And I'm like, well, first of all, I employ people. I, I pay a lot mm. for this and it's not just me. It's like, I, I can help other people as well. So um, I think that that's one thing that we didn't remind ourselves that we are not only valuable, we have worth, but people also need to respect that too. And I, I think that's something where our, our Latinx community is still struggling. Cause it's like, you know, or someone, Hey, you know, why don't you do this for me? And it's like, hold on. If I keep doing everything for free, then I'm not going to exist later on. And, and that's mm-hmm. why I see a lot of people struggling right now. They're like, well, so-and-so does this. And this is how I remind people. And, and so someone that's listening to this thinking like, how am I going to charge more? How am I going to ask for more money? Or how am I going to do this? Once again, write down the list of your, of your, your assets, your qualities. And then when someone tries to basically lowball you or not pay you, um, show them that comparison. So when uh, the other day I had a conference call with my agent and, and the group 
And the conference in the beginning, I mean, co- the conversation was like, you could tell they didn't want to pay or the, the amount we were asking. Um, by the mm-hmm. end, it was like, not only did we like throw in everything that we're like, this is why you want me. This is why I'm <laughs> the difference between the other hundred people you're looking at. Um, and then at the end, they were just like, oh my God, we, they felt like they got such a deal with us. And it's true. It really, mm-hmm. it really did. Cause you know, it's kind of that reminding them like, well, all these other people didn't have to go through what I do. They, they didn't have, to, they didn't spend as much money. Even with my book, I remember in the beginning, someone was like, oh, your book isn't a novel. I'm like, no, it's literally called Financially Savvy in 20 Minutes. You can read it under 20 minutes. Um, and and I was charged, and I mean, my hard copy is 10, right? And they're like, well, it's not like a novel, like a thick novel. I go, first of all, it's not a novel. I had to do research. The, the work that you find in there are actual statistics, things that I, um, you know, the book alone costs, like, I, I always tell people, it's like over $250,000 of stuff that I had to pay for to invest and mm. to learn how to, mm-hmm. you know, make some mistakes when it came to real estate, make some mistakes in my education. Um, and that's what you're getting. You're not getting like my biography. Like it's not, it's not that, you know, it's not like, Oh, here I am. We're growing up. It has nothing yeah. to do with that. And so um, I think when we learn to not only show the, the time and value that we put into it, I think that's, that's part of the beauty of um, when we learn to really value our worth and, and it's, it's still an ongoing struggle. I'm not going to lie. There's moments where I'm like, asking them and the fact that they're fighting me on this it's like well maybe I'm not worth that or and then you hear other people um you know just recently a lot of stuff has come to light where when the women you know speak up and we're like hold on our male counterparts are getting paid three times that wait what you know Mm -hmm. so that's part of the reminder of we still have a long way to go I feel like we're moving in the right directions but the fact that we're now using our voice and being more transparent and owning our story that's how we can remind people. It's like, no, this is my worth. And, and you are, I'm not going to let you or anyone else devalue that. And sometimes we have to walk away from certain things that we wanted to projects or that might be, but if, they, if they're not practicing what they preach, then it's not, it's not for me. And, and for me, it's Absolutely. like, I, I want to do the same. Yeah. And I think psychologically it's damaging to give away your work for free because then you start to program your mind to believe that you're not worth getting paid to do something. Mm-hmm. And My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. I think that just spirals into a place where you're constantly devaluing yourself and not reaching your full potential. So mm-hmm. don't do it. Just yes. charge the money that you deserve and then add tax. <laughs> yes, exactly. 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 So, um, one last question I have for you, because obviously you have uh, been on this entrepreneurial journey and you've created your own income streams and you're basically doing something that not a lot of people do, especially in our community. So I'm curious, what advice do you have for Latinas who also have entrepreneurial dreams? Um, 
I think the best advice I can give you is one of my mentors told me early on is start creating your passive income now. And what I mean by that is the difference, if your listeners don't understand what the difference, there's a there's passive and earned income. And passive income is usually something that it takes time. It takes more time to build because it could be like artwork. It could be a book. It could be music. It could be something that's um, a work of copyright, right? And earned mm-hmm. income is what we are conditioned. That's what we're taught in school is basically you show up and you you work the nine to five or let's be honest, nine to nine. Um, and those hours that we're, we're exchanging, that's how much we're getting paid. With passive income, it not only takes longer to make sometimes, but it also takes sometimes longer to get that return on investment. And um, if I would have known, well, I did know, but I didn't listen right away. And that's, that's why you have to have mentors. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. She told me early on, and I didn't write my first book until probably like six years later, seven, no, maybe more. Um, I would have done it earlier because the fact that I was like, why would anybody want to read, read, read my book? You know, and it wasn't, I wasn't reading, uh, writing a book about me, but I was writing a book about, you know, finances, experiences, and what people can do in order to set themselves up better. Um, he told me the same very well. He's like, you're an expert on a specific subject that nobody else is and mm-hmm. um, choose that. And so when you start creating some of those um, platforms, not only does it take time, like the first two years, I remember it was so hard for me just to sell a hundred bucks. Like it was ridiculous. Um, mm-hmm. But then after that, it's like, you don't have to work as hard as, as you're, as you're creating certain systems. So for those that are an entrepreneurial set, I think sometimes what happens is people get so caught up on like, Oh my God, I got to get my following followers up and you know and which is good and a bad thing because I think what's happening right now too I see too many people too focused on the numbers um Mm -hmm. the the following numbers not the actual getting paid numbers um that it takes a lot of time to create that constant right like constant posting constant um creating content you get burnt out and in the end that's not really making you money in the long run the way it should right so establishing a system um establishing something that's going to be content that you can you know um create income from. And I think if, if you stay away from being so caught up on like how many people are following you, but be more focused on how is this going to bring you more income? How is this going to set up a system for you that you don't have to constantly create content? And I think that's the beautiful thing when you do create something that is considered passive income or even rental income. Like that's something why I always tell about real estate is that, um, it's not like you're rebuilding the house every single month, right? It's there, mm-hmm. you're renting it out and it's, you know, you're bringing, you're getting an income monthly um, is it takes time to get to some of those places. It might take someone five years to come up with a down payment for a rental property. Um, but do that. And for me, that's what it was. People always like, Oh, you just bought a place and it was cheap. And, you know, I'm like, it was, yeah, I bought it below market, but I, I, I had to say like eight years before I could even afford the down payment. And, mm-hmm. um, but I'm glad I did because those eight years, I had to use a lot of discipline. There's a lot of sacrifices that came with it. But, you know, the fact that, you know, 10 years later, 15 years later, it was the best decision I ever made. But at my age, at that time, none of my friends or family were doing that because they thought I was crazy. But I luckily had mentors that were more than twice my age that were, you know, directing me in the right way. And I think um, that's something that's going to be helpful for any entrepreneur is what areas can we create not only passive income, but what areas can we 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 do that will be more of a long-term goal instead of a short-term goal? And I think sometimes, um, especially we live in a, a very um, consumerism <laughs> society that we're like, oh, I have to have this to you know look like I've I've got the 
you know, I've got it all, or, you know, I've got to spend more on this, mm-hmm. or I got to have, you know, like, I'm not big on brands. I don't spend money on clothes. I'm very frugal in that sense. Um, but I know why, because I value experiences over actual materials. I value um, having more time with my family instead of, you know, spending money on shoes or, or, or a bag that, I mean, honestly, doesn't help anybody really. So, mm-hmm. so I mean, I think I, if that's a long answer, but I hope people take that for consideration and saying, okay, because it takes time. It takes more time than, than just creating it one one-time thing. But in the end, it's something that you can be proud of, that you can pass that on to the next generation. And, um, and it's something you don't have to build every single day. Absolutely. The best advice ever. I'm such a big believer on passive income, especially with COVID, putting all of these jobs that people thought were secure at risk. Like mm-hmm. if you've ever been thinking about creating a secondary income stream, that could potentially become your main income stream. Like now is the time. And with the power of the internet, I mean, there is no excuse. It's oh, just a matter of getting past that mental block. Absolutely. And, and, and don't, and I don't beat our, we can't beat ourselves up for it too. Cause I, I mean, I know I fall to that sometimes where I'm like, why am I not this, at this number or at this place or, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? But then it's, the cool thing is that's why I love journaling is that I can reflect and be, oh my God, a year ago I was complaining about this and now I'm here. Or three years mm-hmm. ago, I wanted this and it finally came true. Um, and so it's kind of understanding that the process is, is, I'm like a tortuga, right? I'm like a turtle. It'll take time, <laughs> but eventually we'll get there. And and I think it's reminding ourselves that it's it's a journey. It's part of the journey that really makes it worth it in the end. Yeah, I think the hardest part is just starting. So mm-hmm. there's never a, as good of a day as right now and today. Absolutely. Natalie, this has been an amazing conversation. I am so happy to have you on the podcast. And for people that want to follow you, find out more about you, where can we find you? Yeah, so website, book, and podcast are all the same. It's called Financially Savvy in 20 Minutes, two Bs. And my Instagram is Financially Savvy Latina. Um, but yeah, I, I look forward to connecting with people. And, and most of my content is bilingual. So I, you know, if you want to get your mamas, your tias to start listening and <laughs> learning, this is this is the time to do it. Excellent. Thank you again so much. I'm so excited for everybody to hear this. I think um, you are just a shining example of like what is possible when you just get out of your own way and really are not afraid to shine in the world and you are shining girlfriend. So keep it going. Oh, well, thank you so much. And I'm so proud of you (laughs) creating such an an amazing platform. And um, I mean, you're going to be influencing so many other people to do the same. So thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. I really hope you enjoyed today's episode. Natalie's story reminds me so much of my own story. I have dealt with things like perfectionism and overachievement and imposter syndrome pretty much my whole life. And I feel like, especially as Latinas, first gen, like we deal with a lot of pressure. There's so much pressure placed on us, both from our own selves, from our families, from those around us, especially if you've had family that's immigrated from somewhere else. You know, America is still seen as this place where you can achieve anything. And as a result, I feel like we internalize a lot of this pressure to just constantly achieve and constantly do more. And that leads to burnout, right? That leads to anxiety and stress and depression and all kinds of things that we really are just not going to serve us when it comes to achieving our goals. So I hope that this episode inspires you to take a look at your own life, 
maybe you've been dealing with the type of stress that Natalie's been talking about and just feeling like, you know, when is enough enough? And so I hope that this inspires you to reach out to a friend. Maybe you know somebody who is also dealing with these struggles. And I really firmly believe that when we talk about mental health openly and when we start sharing our stories, we're breaking down barriers to access information and to just really not feel so alone in this process. So as always, if you're loving this podcast, please make sure to review, rate, subscribe, share it. That way people like you can find us. And we're actually going to be doing a giveaway to celebrate 4,000 followers on Instagram. So if you want to enter into our 4K giveaway, head over to Instagram, find us at Yo Quiero Dinero Podcast, and make sure to follow us so you can stay in touch with us and celebrate this amazing milestone. Thank you so much for being here. And as always, stay resilient, stay open, stay honest, and stay poderosa. On the Yo Quiero Dinero podcast and associated entities, all information provided is for general information purposes only and does not constitute accounting, legal tax, or other professional advice. Listeners should not act upon the content or information found here without first seeking appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional. We assume no responsibility for information contained on this podcast and associated entities and disclaim all liability with respect to such information, including but not limited to any liability for errors, inaccuracies, omissions or misleading or defamatory statements. Usage of this podcast and associated content constitutes an explicit understanding and acceptance of the terms of this disclaimer.